Just want to take a moment and introduce our speaker to the congregation. Uh, he's been with us this weekend for the youth rally. It is Micah Tuttle. Um, he's originally from Portland, Oregon. He has six kids and great brother in Christ. Um, he's, we were freshmen together at Emmaus Bible College, and I remember when he came in, we, some of us thought he was, he was crazy, and, um, and we were right. So um, he, had, he had been in Peru um, doing missions work for a couple years, and came to Emmaus to get some training, and he was, he was on fire for the Lord and on fire for evangelism, and um, then he went back to Peru, and he did Peru missionary work with his family for 18 years, and, and then lately he's been out in Freedom, California, if you've heard of the Freedom Team, a group of guys, kind of, you know, some of the Turkey Hill guys, if you are familiar with Turkey Hill, Went out there and planted a church to do evangelism and missions work out in California, kind of, I believe it's in the San Jose area. And so, so you have a lot of ministry between Peru and California, and it's a little bit who he is. He might say a few words, and I'll invite him up, and um, why don't I just take a minute and pray for, for Micah. He's been, as I sent out to the congregation, he, he thought he was battling... Um, COVID for a while, which he was, but it actually was COVID and malaria. And so, so yes, but he's feeling better every day. And, um, and why don't I just take a minute to pray for him while he comes up. Heavenly Father, thank you for, for Micah, good brother in Christ. Um, pray for him that you'd empower him as he preaches the word this morning. And I do pray for open hearts, God, that we would receive your message gladly. And um, we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we just give Micah a welcome as he comes up. It's really great to be here this, this weekend. It's been a fantastic time with all of you youth have come from, from different places for the conference and uh, real privilege to be able to open God's word and to, to share with everyone. And uh, now this last meeting and um, um, I guess I guess before kind of getting into this, this last uh, message, I uh, like to say that uh, it would be fantastic if a, a team from, from Bethany Bible Chapel uh, put together a group to come and, and, and visit us in the jungles of Peru. We could give you a, uh, an amazing, unforgettable mission slash weight loss trip. Um, <clears throat> you could uh, probably eat some, some maggots. We have these big maggots called suri. Um, those are tasty. If you saw the video yesterday, you saw me eat one alive, and uh, we give you that experience. And monkey monkey meat sometimes, and wild boar brains, and slogging through the mud, sometimes 20 miles to get to the next village, and uh, and then by the end of the trip, you just uh, absolutely exhausted, and uh, you might have malaria, but. Uh, <clears throat> Only one life to live, soon to pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Wherever you are, whatever you do, like I was saying last night, wherever you are, whatever you do, if you're holding on to the Lord, He'll bless you there. He'll bless you there. So serving the Lord with whatever your gifts and abilities are, wherever the Lord's put you. Um, the Lord took us from, from Peru five years ago, and... Uh, and uh, now we're in California, and I, when when kind of the Lord was leading to California, um, I just I felt like I refused to be a Californian, and so I've kept my Iowa driver's license, and uh, um, but yeah, I I don't I don't agree with their uh, their politics and their uh, high cost of living. And uh, they're hunting and fishing policies either. So, <clears throat> Anyway, if you would open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. I wasn't going to preach this, um, but I just, as I was thinking and, and praying um, last night, I was just, 
just feeling like the Lord was directing this way. I'm going to kind of deviate from the theme, which has been um, men who met Jesus or, or people who met Jesus. And we kind of, um, we saw how, how several different people in the scriptures ran to the feet of Jesus and uh, their lives transformed. And then uh, last night, looking at Jacob as he wrestled with Jesus a pre-incarnate Christ, all night long. And then that epic moment where he just kind of slams his fist down and says, I, I won't let go. I won't let go. I'm holding on to God. All I want is the blessing, and God is the blessing. I refuse to let go of God. I refuse to let go of the blessing in Christ. And, um, and now I, I really feel like I want to preach on this topic, which I think is so important, of biblical manhood. Biblical manhood. I mean, especially in today's day and age. It is amazing as you, as you go into the jungles of Peru for a bunch of years and then you come back. And it, Portland, Oregon. I'm from Portland, Oregon. It is a different place than when I grew up there. Even in the last five years, I mean, everything has changed. Everything across the country, across the globe unbelievable and especially I think so much of it goes back to really the definition of what a man is and how God created men and their responsibilities that they should be living out and carrying out and I, I think going back that is maybe maybe where the root of the problem is I mean obviously coming back also to to the gospel and uh, a real relationship with the living God through his son, Jesus Christ. And uh, anyway, I, I, want to, I want to come to, to this passage, Genesis chapter 2. This is, this is um, where man is originally created and, and he's put into the Garden of Eden. Um, this is before sin has come into the world. And, uh, and, and I just want to point out a couple of things here. Um, about man and how he was originally created and the responsibilities um, that God, God gave him. These are the things that we need to get back to. And uh, you know, if we, our, our world is so broken. If we're going to do something about the brokenness in our society, we've got to do something, actually, I think back up a step. We, we've got to do something about, about our churches. Uh, look at... Uh, the evangelical movement, by and large, across the United States, in a lot of ways, you know, it, it's a big joke. It's like five flags over Jesus, and Jesus is the man, but then it's more just kind of like a lot of nice encouragement of how to be healthy and wealthy. And um, a lot of times, man, uh, churches are no longer preaching the Bible. We're no longer preaching the gospel. Um, so if we're going to fix, I really think, society, we've got to fix the churches, but listen, if we're going to fix the churches, I think going down into even a smaller unit, the family, the families within our churches, we're, we're just so broken. And really, if, if we're going to do something about our families, we got to focus on the men. Men, you're the leaders of your family. You're raising boys. You're raising girls. They're watching you, men, as an example. Young men that are here, part of the, the Iowa Youth Conference. This, yes, I'm preaching, I'm preaching to the men. The young men, the middle-aged men, the old men. Women, you can just go to sleep during this message. I'll wake you up at one point. There's one point here. <clears throat> so Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 18. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge and good, of good and evil you shall not eat. For in, the day of it, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Before we go any further, let's pray. Father God, feel the weight of this subject. 
just pray that you would help me to say the things that you want me to say. We want to put these few minutes into your hands. Lord, we stand at the, it seems, the edge of time. I pray that here in these last days, you would raise up men, really to be men, men of God, men courageous and bold and strong, to wave the flag of Zion across the land. Men that stand up to lead their families. Men that really love their wife. Invest in their kids. Men that would be investing in a new generation that would stand up and be willing to go against the current of this world in all of the brainwashing that's going on around us. Oh Lord, help us to hear, feel the urgency of the situation. Put these minutes in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so going back to verse 15 right there. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So I ask you, just looking at the verse 15, what's the first responsibility? And maybe it's not in order of, of uh, importance here, but this is the first one in verse 15. What's the first responsibility that man is given? Work. I love that. God created men to work. And a lot of us think that work is like a result of the fall, a result of sin. No, this is before chapter 3. Man, man has just recently been created. God has breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and immediately he's put into the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Men were created to work. You know, God has created men to be, um, hopefully we should be a little bit tough, um, maybe a little strong. There's strong women out there and tough women, and, but, but the Lord's maybe created men to be a little bit stronger, a little bit tougher. And uh, I am amazed at how, as I have this unique opportunity, I get to preach in different places around the country and sometimes other countries and um, we'll stay with different people and different families. And every once in a while, we'll stay with a family that has a 30-year-old son that lives in the basement and spends 10 hours a day playing PlayStation or Xbox. It's time to grow up. It's time to go to work. You know, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, you, you remember that passage? Don't look it up. The story of David and Goliath. Goliath comes out, that, that, that hulking man, nine feet tall or whatever, and, and, and he defies the armies of Israel morning and night. Forty days, more than a month, he comes out to the armies of Israel and he just cries out in that giant voice, Give me a man! Give me a man! Give me a man! And I want to steal those words. Even though it's the enemy of God that's crying out those words, don't do this. This is bad hermeneutics. I'm just ripping this out of context. But I'm going to steal Goliath's words, and I'm going to echo those words this morning, time after time after time. Give me a man. Give me a man. Give me a man. And you know, this has been a problem from the very beginning of creation. We're gonna, this is a problem with Adam right from the beginning. And then down through history to this very day, there is a major lack of men. And as even the enemy cries out, give me a man to fight with me. Where are God's warriors that are willing to stand up and fight his battles? Fight the Lord's battles. You know, Goliath, he comes out. More than a month, morning and evening, crying out these words, and there was no men. Oh, there was a lot of males out there. There was, there was a lot of soldiers, but they just stood there, cowered, fled in the presence of this, this giant asking for a fight. Where are the men that are really willing to stand up and fight the Lord's battles? You're a big guy. 
Goliath. And in my own strength, I, I have no chance against you. But I don't go in my own strength. In the strength of the living God. And then finally you see David, that young man that came to the Iowa Youth Conference. Stands up and he says, I'll be that man. I'll fight the Lord's battles. And here, just going back to this, this verse 15, where the men that, that really know how to work. So, so going back, if we're going to be biblical men, men that know how to work. Um, I have three daughters, beautiful senoritas. And Bria's 19. And um, I am anticipating that day when some punk <laughs> comes and knocks on the door and, and asks, you know, to take Bree out on a, on a date. Or <clears throat> and I'm collecting guns, even though I live in California. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm, I'm, I've actually, I, I have, I've developed about 150 questions that I'm going to ask the, that punk. So as he comes in, I'm polishing one of my guns. I'm going to be, uh, punk, sit down. And one of my first questions is going to be this. Punk, you know how to work? You know how to work? This is super important. I don't want my girls marrying no punk that doesn't know how to work. That can't provide for his family. I'm not saying that you have to be rich and all kinds of money and, and, and give all of your kids TVs in every bedroom and every kid has the latest car and the best shoes. and No, 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 no. But you do need to provide for your family. Men that know how to work. Young men that are here at this conference. It starts now. Developing a work ethic. One day you're going to have a family and you're going to need to provide for them. Men that know how to work. Give me a man. Give me a man. Give me a man. Men that know how to work. And let, let me now talk kind of from this angle. You know, you work hard 40 or 50 or 60, some of you 70 hours a week. And, and, and you're out there, you're fighting dragons. And you get done with work at the end of the day. You get home and, and, and you drag your body in there. And, and all you want to do is sit in the corner and watch the football game. But you open up that door and all your kids just jump on top of you. And dad, we want to wrestle. You know, there's no rest for the weary. You walk in that door and the real work begins. That's where the real work is it, on the home front, you walk in that door and you tell your wife, honey, it's time for you to take a rest. You've been working hard with the kids all day. Now it's on me. I'm, I'm washing the dishes now. I, I'm changing diapers. I'll, I'll, I'll fix some food if, if, that's, if it's not ready yet. Be a man. Yeah, you, you're tired, but you're tough too. Now, I kind of picked on the young men with video games, and now let me pick on the old men. I have the gift of offending people, but um, old men, this idea of spending the last 25 years of your life in retirement, collecting seashells and going in an RV to visit the beach and playing golf, golfing your last and best years away... It's not biblical. I'm not saying that, yeah, you work 40 years as an electrician and you work hard and yeah, maybe your body can't do it anymore and so you retire. And, and yeah, maybe you've invested some money and, and, and you should do that and that is great and now you retire from that. But now you kick it into high gear. Now you're a self-supporting missionary. You can go for it. And listen, you have years of experience under your belt and wisdom and years in the scriptures, years walking with the Lord. We need you to invest in the young men. 
Where are those old men that really in all their wisdom want to invest in the young men or the middle-aged guys? You have so much experience. We need you. Don't golf away the last 25 years of your life. We need those 25 years. Give me a man. Give me a man. Give me a man. Verses 16 and 17 now. The Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you shall not eat for the, in the day of, that you eat of it, you shall surely die. What's kind of the main idea here? What, what's God giving as far as the responsibility to man? Let's kind of sum it up in one word, really. Obedience. Obey. Obey God and the command that he's given. Men are given this command to obey. This is one of our responsibilities. You shall not eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you know what? It's like the next day. You get into chapter 3 and right there in verse 4 and she... Well, let's back up, yeah. But the serpent said to the woman, you, may not, you will surely not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and uh, it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Where, where was Adam? He's with Eve. Listen, from the beginning of time, Satan has been targeting women. Satan is targeting women to this very day. We need the men to stand up and defend the women. Imagine this. They're walking Adam and Eve, they're on a hot date, and they're, they're just kind of going through the garden. They have to be passing right by the, the, knowledge of tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and there, there's this, this boa comes out of the tree and just starts, starts conversation with Eve. And, and as they're talking, Adam's just kind of standing back, huh, boa's talking to Eve. Man, they're, they're talking about the fruit that God said not to eat. That God commanded me not to eat. She seems to be getting convinced. She, she's eating. Oh, I'll, I'll take some too. No, what should he have done? That's what happened. What should he have done? As they're talking there, he should say, honey, oh, I love you. <laughs> honey, oh, just stand aside a moment. <clears throat> Boa, <laughs> why are you messing with my wife? This conversation's with me. But he doesn't do that. This right here, a picture of passivity. And this is a huge problem in men all over the world. This is your biggest problem. This is my biggest problem. I feel this all the time. I find myself, Micah, you're so passive. Stand up and be a man. Fight the Lord's battles. Defend your wife. Defend your family. Lead your family in obedience. You know, later in the New Testament, we see that the woman was deceived. But the man, his sin was willful. Knowing. And this is, this is the story of, of history, all down through history. Men that just don't know how to obey. You know, um, for the world, a, a man's man is the, is the guy that can kind of maybe fight better than the other guys, beat everybody up, or maybe have the most women, drink the most beers, or yeah, cuss the most. I, I don't know, but... Uh, when you see in the Bible, biblical manhood, it's not the guy that can control everybody else. 
It's the man that can control himself. That's hard to do. It might be kind of easy for some of you to control everyone else, but it's really difficult to control yourself. That's where the mark of a man is. You know, one of the greatest statements about biblical manhood that I ever heard came from a woman, Elizabeth Elliot. She says this in her book, Mark of a Man. She says, the steel of manly character is forged in the fires of self-control and discipline. I love that. The steel of manly character is forged in the fires of self-control and discipline. Where's the self-control? Many of us as men, man, you just, you, you don't know how to control yourself. The slightest little temptation comes across your screen on the computer, and it's like, you can't hold back. Where's the self-control? Give me a man. Give me a man. Give me a man. You know, the... Arthur and his knights of the round table, I guess they had a, um, a code of conduct. And obviously, this isn't a Bible verse, but the concepts are biblical. They, uh, the knights of the round table, and I, I tried to, I've tried to teach my kids this. This is our, our code of conduct. Live pure, speak true, right wrong, follow the king. Our king isn't King Arthur, and it's not King Biden either. It's King Jesus. We follow King Jesus. But live pure. Men that live pure lives. Oh, I want purity. Yesterday we talked a little bit about that woman with the hemorrhage and, and she was just, she was, she was unclean. She was dirty. Oh, how I long to just, I just want to be clean. I want to be pure. Live pure. Men, do you want your boys to live pure lives? Oh, I desperately long to have my boys. I've got three young men. One of them, Cullen, is right here. Oh, Cullen, live a pure life. Don't see her. Oh. Oh, the, I know that you dads, you want your sons to live pure. But it starts with you. Where's your example? Live pure, speak true. Speaking the truth. You know, in, in, in Peru, Peru is one of the countries that could be the richest country in the world. But because there's so much corruption and lying, Peruvians are known as liars. The country is just liars from the president right on down to the littlest kid out in the farthest jungle and jungle village out there. And you see the country and it's just like, man, what you could be. Right, wrong. If you've done something wrong, make it right. Go to your brother that maybe you've wronged and make it right. Or maybe you didn't do something wrong, but it's in your power to go and help and fix. You see something that's been happened on the street corner and, and you, you can go over there and help the situation. God has given men the responsibility to work, responsibility to obey. Now look at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Who's he talking about? Eve. It's interesting that uh, the man needs a helper. Men need help. My wife is way smarter than I am, way, way more able. If I, if I wasn't married, I would probably live in a cardboard box somewhere and, and just live the most disorganized life ever. And uh, man, I need my wife. She helps me. Now, okay, women, you're not, you, haven't, you haven't been listening to this point, I'm sure, but uh, now you need, need to wake up. This, this, this now for you. A helper fit for him. L later on at the end of verse 20, it, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Do you know this word for helper appears 30 times in the Old Testament? 
And every single time except for this one, it refers to God. God is our helper. God is our helper. 29 other times. The only other time that someone's referred to uh, uh, the helper, it's referring to the woman. Women, don't be offended at this concept of being your husband's helper. No, 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 no. Great honor that goes with biblical womanhood. Oh, a whole different message right here. One time I was preaching at a church in Dallas. Had never been there before. We didn't know anybody. And, and we drive up and uh, we just had two kids at the time. Colin was there. He probably doesn't remember because he's he's little. But uh, we pull up to this this house. It was the house of one of the elders. And uh, and it was uh, man and wife. And they had, uh, they had, I think, seven kids. And it was just kind of down like that. And uh, all of them were standing there uh, at the, the front of their house. Sacando pecho. Así. And uh, and walked up and I thought, man, seven kids, how irresponsible. What about overpopulation? Um, but anyway, we walked up and, and, and shook all of their hands and all the kids, good handshakes, looking me right in the eye. Welcome to our house, Mr. Tuttle. And we, we walk inside. I'm kind of surprised. Man, this is a neat family. We walk inside and, and, and the house is, is really put together incredible. And uh, we sit down at the dinner table, and uh, the whole time, the guy, the man of the house, he's, he's giving his wife a massage. And, and, and as we're talking, then he, he, he switches positions and sits down and, and picks her feet up, takes her shoes off, gives foot massage. And as we're, as we're going, we're eating dinner, and, and it was this fantastic dinner. And I find out the kids had prepared the meal. And then the kids are getting up and like giving us seconds and then starting to wash dishes and another one's vacuuming. And I mean, and I, have to, I, I go, okay, time out, time out. Like this is, your home is unbelievable. This is amazing. How did, how did you do this? And it was, it was obvious, it was, this was the woman's household. And I was like, how would you do this? And she looks at me and she goes, thank you very much. I did everything for my husband. I was, I fell off of my chair and then I, I got up. I was like, whoa, whoa. I didn't really fall off my chair, but I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what did you say? I, I thought you were going to say, thank you very much. I did everything for you guys, our visitors. No, I did everything for my husband. I couldn't believe it. I gave Amy a, a, an elbow and I, did you hear that? <laughs> but she elbowed me back and said, but look how he treats her. You know, when the roles in the family, when the roles in the family are being carried out correctly, and the man really loves his wife as Christ loves the church, giving himself up for her, for her loving her, saving her, you're the savior of the body as Christ is the savior of the body of the church, it says in Ephesians 5. Man, when the man is really loving his wife and nurturing her and pouring into her, I think that it's going to be kind of easy, actually, for a woman to submit to a man like that. She's actually going to kind of find it easy and an honor to help a man like that. But we got our roles all mixed up, all messed up, and now look at our families. Give me a man. Give me a man. Give me a man. I guess to add right here on this, really quickly, coming back to the men. Some of you guys could say, well, Micah, you don't know my wife. My wife, she's a difficult woman. She's not like that, the, the woman that you just described there. The, the, you know, I did everything for my husband. You know what? It's actually a blessing. And this goes both ways. It's, it's, it's a blessing if your spouse doesn't meet all your conditions. Because, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to learn how to love unconditionally. Like he loves us. He loves you, he loves me, God loves us unconditionally. And he wants you to learn how to love unconditionally. 
And how are you going to learn to love unconditionally if your spouse meets all your conditions? It's actually a good thing that your wife is so difficult. It's actually a good thing that your husband is actually pretty difficult. You're learning to love unconditionally. You can apply that to the church body right here. You know that difficult brother? He's sitting over there. God wants you to learn how to love him unconditionally. Let's just go on. Okay, that was all introduction. I, I was going to... I have no idea what time I'm supposed to stop, and I'm, I'm just kind of not, not going to look at the clock. So, so verse 19. Now, now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. Let me stop right there. Why, why does it say, why are these verses 19 and 20 there? Because, I mean, it's talking about man and his, as he was originally created in these, these verses 15 to 18. And then after this, in verses 21 to the end of the chapter, it's just talking about uh, kind of the, the first marriage ceremony. Why these verses about naming animals? I think it's so that Adam, as he's naming the animals, he's like, this works a lot better in Spanish. Elefante y elefanta. It's actually bad Spanish. Male elephant, female elephant. Male deer, female deer. Male rabbit, female rabbit. And as he's naming, it's kind of like, everyone's got their, their pair. What about me? I want one too. And then the verse continues right there and it says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man while he was, and, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with the flesh. So there God does the first surgery in human history, puts Adam under some anesthesia, and then, yeah, takes out his rib and, and fashions this in, into a woman. And, and, and I love this. In Spanish, in Peru anyway, uh, the wife is referred to as la costilla. Donde esta tu costilla? The, the, the rib. We should start that in English. I guess it doesn't sound as good. And this is my rib, Amy. I don't <laughs> But I love how the woman is fashioned and formed out of the rib. Not out of some bone out of the foot so that she might be kind of stepped on and stomped on. No, 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 no. And not out of some, you know, part of the, the skull. It wasn't fashioned out of there so that she might be kind of the head of the family and lorded over the man and kind of she wears the pants in the family. No, no, no. Fashioned out of the rib, close to the heart, to be loved and nurtured. Like that guy that I saw, just, man, massages and the way that he talked to his wife. Everything was about, he just loved his wife. I'm going to nurture. You know that parable? This is another bad hermeneutics. Don't do this. But uh, th that, that parable that Jesus tells about the, uh, the talents, and he gives five to one guy, two to another guy, one to another guy, and then the, then the boss goes away, and then he comes back, and, and the one guy's multiplied his five into ten, and then the two into four, and then the other one just buried it. And, and you know, <clears throat> apply that to marriage. Men, some of you have been given a five-talent wife. It is your responsibility to multiply her, make her flourish. Some of you have been given a two-talent wife. Your job's still the same. Make her multiply, make her flourish. Some of you have been given a one-talent wife. Don't bury her. <laughs> We've been given a certain daughter. Uh, I'm going to... Uh, okay, I'm going to go to that right here. Look at this in verse 22. The rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. So picture this. Here, we're going to get into, this is the first marriage ceremony. 
the woman is being presented to the man in the first marriage ceremony. And you can almost imagine here, all of the animals are, are gathered. There's just thousands of animals gathered there in the, in the, the church building. Or it's not, yeah, they're just, maybe it's open air. And, and they're out there and, and Adam is standing up in front and uh, great anticipation. And, and the woman is being walked down the aisle as all the animals rise. And uh, I ask you, who was the father-in-law. It was God. God is presenting this precious daughter of his to this punk. <laughs> At my wedding, there was, there was like 500 people, a bunch of people down below. There's a second level and all these people up there and I had never been in front of that many people before and I'm, I was so nervous and I'm standing up in front and, and Amy comes with her dad escorting her, her hand in his and, and then he walks up and he's like staring at me as he's coming and he comes up and he puts her hand in mine and he looks at me and he, and he, and he says in a low voice and no one else heard it, he said, love her. And I was, and he looks at me again, love her. Yes, yes, sir. But, you know, I felt, I remember at that moment feeling the tremendous responsibility. This man has just charged me with loving his daughter, taking care of this certain daughter of Doug Steller. And you know, your wife is a certain daughter of God's. You're going to have to turn her back in one day. In what kind of state are you going to turn her back in? Some of you have just ruined your wife. You're going to have to turn her back in one day. Give me a man. Give me a man. Give me a man. Verse 23. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24. Therefore the man shall leave his father and mother. Young people. Men, when you get married, you can't live with the in-laws. You leave your mother and father. And you're like, this is a major problem in Peru. Almost everybody gets married and they just go and live with the in-laws. And there's always this major problem because the, the mother, that's still my little boy. And this girl just came in and took my boy away from me. And there's this major problem between mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. Or maybe it's the other way, from, from father-in-law to son-in-law. But uh, I... Right here from the very beginning, marriage, you're, you're designed to leave. Start your own family, your own household. And many tell me, well, we don't have enough money to, to go and establish kind of our own, our own household yet. So we're just going to be a couple of years with the in-laws until we can get our feet on the ground. Well, you know what? Let's go back to point number one. Men are made to work. You should have started a long time ago. Don't just start working now once you, start, once you got married. Young men, start now. Work ethic. Start saving money. She's going to cost a lot. <laughs> After that, it says, leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. You know, you, you hold fast to your wife. When, this, when kids start to come, and man, you love your kids, you just can't even explain how much, you, how much I love my kids. And, oh, but you know what? Your wife came first. The kids aren't more important than your wife. You know what? My dad, he used to always, he'd take me by the shoulders. Every once in a while, he'd say, Mike, I love you so much. Oh, yeah, I just, I'm so proud of you. I love you. And he'd give me a big hug. And then he'd like push me away, hold, hold me by the shoulders. But son, I love your mom more. And you know what? That actually, it, it gave me confidence. It, it, it filled me with 
some kind of courage. I don't know. I just thought to myself, man, I know my dad loves me a lot. And I know, I mean, he demonstrates it in his life too. He really loves my mom. My dad ain't going nowhere. He's not abandoning this family for nothing. Your kids need to see that. The best thing that you can do for raising your kids is show them that you love their mom. Give me a man. Give me a man. Give me a man. You hold fast to your wife. And they shall become one flesh. You know, one time I was preaching in one of my villages. I was preaching open air up on top of a table. The whole village came out that night, and the Lord really seemed to use it. The Holy Spirit was working on a lot of consciences, and there was kind of sat down, and there was like dead silence for like 10 minutes. So everybody just sat there. And finally, this, this family stood up and came over to me. And uh, it was a man and his woman with three kids over here and then there's this other woman and there's three kids over here and the man said I want what you're talking about new life in Jesus I, I, I need that forgiveness that you're talking about I, 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 want, I want Jesus tonight but I've got this problem this is my woman and I have three kids with her this is also my other woman, and I have three kids with her. And we live in the same house, and they're carnal sisters. And one of the, the women kind of reached past the guy and took a swipe at the other woman. And then some of the kids started fighting. And after talking to the guy and the family, I mean, they lived under one roof. It was a total disaster of a home. It was unbelievable. But he, two women, and, and I mean so many men, you know, this idea of one flesh and, and faithful to your wife, one and only wife, but so many men living hidden and secret lives, you just, you've just totally messed up your life and your family and your kids. Where are the men? The men that really live according to biblical principles and this being one flesh with his wife. And then look at verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You know, sex within marriage is holy. It's blessed. It's good. And you should have as much sex as possible within marriage. Outside of marriage comes with all kinds of consequences and destruction in pain. And many of you have suffered some of those consequences. This speaks a little bit about the man and the woman both naked and we're not ashamed. It's a good thing within marriage. But look at our society. I mean everything's everything's almost centered around sex. Sex sells. Where are the men that really teach their kids about the dangers and the blessings of, of sex. The dangers outside of marriage and the, the blessing within it. You know, sometimes I think about David and Solomon. King David, now this isn't a story in the Bible, but I just kind of imagine King David walking through the streets of Jerusalem with his son, son Solomon one day. And um, Solomon's about 13 years old. And as they're walking along, Solomon says, Dad, been noticing that the, the girls are kind of cute, kind of pretty. David's like, yeah, son, God, God made us to recognize that. That's, that's good, son. Girls, girls are beautiful. Dad, how'd you meet mom? Uh, well, uh, I was sort of on the roof and kind of looked down and she was kind of bathing and oh but dad you looked away like you always teach me right well um kind of invited her over to the palace and oh but dad you guys got married right uh she was sort of married to somebody else 
I mean, can you imagine how complicated that conversation must have been? No wonder Solomon ended up with like a thousand women that drew him away from the Lord in the end. Your boys are watching you. They watch your example. Give me a man. Give me a man. You know, in the jungles of Peru, as I've preached over in 18 years, almost in all the villages, when I'll end the sermon, I oftentimes leave this challenge to the young people. Any young couple that gets married virgins, I'm paying for their wedding. I'm going to send them on the most epic honeymoon. This will be the biggest fiesta that this village has ever seen. I'm paying for all of it. You know, in 18 years, I didn't have to pay for a single wedding until just a year and a half ago. First one I had to pay for. And you know what? I was so excited and honored to pay for that wedding. Hermano Ever married Hermana Topacio. And it was awesome. Married virgins, having kept their purity to that day, that special day of marriage. Oh, and I stood there before Eber, loved that brother, and looked out at everybody there and said, give me a man, give me a man. Right here, we've got a man. Oh, men, teach your boys purity by example. Teach your boys purity by example. So man as he was originally created, men have a work to do. Men were created to obey God. Men were created to love their wife. Oh, that the Lord would raise up men that would really be men as we see it lined out in the Bible. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage as we see men and how you originally created them and all the responsibilities that come with it. Lord, I pray that you would raise up men that through the steel of manly character that's forged in the fires of self-control and discipline, live lives that glorify you. Lord, I pray that you would give us an eternal perspective, help us to be strong to resist temptation, to lead our families in obedience. And Lord, I pray that then the result would be strong churches, a revival spreading across the land in our nation that so greatly, greatly needs it. So Lord, we ask that you would do great things here at the end of the ages. Please, Lord, start with the men. We put our lives into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.